0: Haggai chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the twenty-fourth day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. Thus ends our reading of God's authoritative word. May all who hear it find that their spirits have been stirred up by the Lord. Have you ever thought to yourself, this nation has no hope? We have gone too far and we are too stubborn of a people to change. We have turned our backs on God and are lost for good. It would take a miracle to turn things around. Anybody ever think that? Yeah? What does a revival among a nation look like? How does true repentance come about? How does God stir up the spirits of his people causing them to turn to him in faith and obedience. In 1741, before our nation was even founded, there there was this event called the Great Awakening. And during that time, the, the, the congregational pastor, Jonathan Edwards, went to this small town in Enfield, which is now in Massachusetts. And he preached this sermon entitled, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Anybody ever hear of it? Yeah, maybe you read it in high school. Uh, In his monotone voice, a voice that lacked any emotion or enthusiasm, he, he filled the silent room with his dire warnings of the flames of hell. And as his message progressed, his his words captured the hearts of the people, instilling within them a fear of the Lord. Many times, Edwards would be interrupted by people moaning and and crying out, What shall I do to be saved? And before he could finish his message, there was such a commotion of shrieking and hysterical crying that, that Edwards had to stop altogether and allow for some of the other itinerant preachers who had been present to minister to the people. That day in, the, in this church in Enfield, they added 95 new members to their congregation. One man, speaking the word of God, stirred up the spirits of the people that brought, a, brought about an awakening in Enfield. This is our third week in the book of Haggai, and and we have been seeing how God deals with his people when he desires for them to repent and to turn to him. And we've seen that the means that he uses is through his word. It was through the prophet, prophet Haggai, that he brought a message of rebuke to both Zerubbabel and the, the ruler of the Jews and to Joshua the high priest. For the, for the people had neglected to rebuild his temple, even though they had been in the land for 18 years. Instead, they had made excuses, saying that, that the time had not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. And yet, they had enough time to focus on their own houses, bringing down cedar from the mountains and having them luxuriously paneled. What these people failed to realize is the importance of having the presence of God in their lives. They were the people of Yahweh in name only. And because of this, God sent to them a drought. They had been experiencing the curse of economic woes because they had not put him first. God wanted them to repent. He wanted them to build his house so that he might take pleasure in it by offering them forgiveness and so that he would be honored among the nations as Israel would once again become a light to the nations. It is through this prophet Haggai that the people heard the word of the Lord. It was a call to repentance. It was a call to trust in God. The question was, how would this people respond. Let's look at our text and find out. Look at verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Here we see the response of Judah from their point of view. And the response was one of obedience. Now, the way this verse is laid out, we see three questions being answered here who, what, and why. Who was responding to Haggai's message? What was the response? And why did they respond in such a fashion? Let's start with the who who was responding to Haggai's message. Here we see the the same list of characters that we've been interacting with since verse 1. There is Zerubbabel, who is the heir to the throne. There is Joshua, the high priest. And there is the whole remnant of the people. So we have both the leadership and the citizens of Judah. This was a revival on a grand scale. It wasn't just a family or two, but a whole people. If you remember, there were roughly 50,000 Jews that had returned to the land 18 years prior. And that number had only grown since. We are talking about a, a massive amount of people that had responded to Haggai's message in obedience. Which answers the what question. What was the response of these people? They obeyed the voice of the Lord. This phrase demonstrates to us two things. One, that these people recognized that Haggai was a true prophet of God. The words may have been vocalized by a man, but their origin was from the heavens above. And two, that this voice of the Lord led them to obedience. In other words, they took action. Do you remember what God had instructed them to do? They were to go up they were to bring down, and they were to build. They were to go up into the mountains, they were to bring down timber, and they were to build the house of the Lord. And this is exactly what these people were doing. They heard the word of the Lord, and they obeyed. The Apostle James gives us advice along these same same lines. Look at, look at James 1, verses 22 through 25. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. In other words, it takes more than just reading your Bible or coming to church on Sunday. Rather, it is taking what you have learned and putting it into practice. In America, we run the danger of ignoring God's word for a few different reasons. One, we we hear it so much that that it tends to become a white noise instead of the voice of God. I mean, think about it. How many Bibles do you have in your homes? And then there's 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 a Bible app that, that you can pull up on your phone. You turn on the radio and someone's preaching at you. You turn on the TV, there's another minister. And then there's podcasts. Get on social media. People are posting their, their favorite verse. As a society, we have become become so inundated with the Word of God that we run the risk of of no longer revering it anymore. It's no longer unique or authoritative. And so while we hear it constantly, it no longer moves us. And in turn, it becomes forgetful. Now, I'm not saying that that, that, that you shouldn't bathe yourself in the Word of God. You should. What what I am saying is that you shouldn't forget the source of that word, where it comes from. Don't disregard its authoritative power. A second reason why we tend to ignore God's word comes from the the modernist movement and and their attack on the authenticity of the scriptures. For the past 200 years, there has been this movement to debunk the Bible. There have been challenges to its historical accuracy, to its original authorship, to to its scribal consistency in in the copying of the manuscripts over the past 2,000 years. And many have bought into this movement and thus no longer see the Bible as the word of God. But as time goes on and as archaeologists dig a little deeper and as we discover more and more of these ancient manuscripts, what we're finding out is that the Bible is actually the most reliable historical document that we have. And finally, many tend to ignore God's word because of the, of the postmodern idea that, that all interpretations are equally valid. So one could peruse the Bible and read into the text whatever they want. And as a result, God loses his authority as the reader's heart becomes the sole interpreter of what the Bible says. The individual has become their own God. What category do you fall in? Has God's word just become this white noise so that you no longer view it as unique and authoritative? Or perhaps you you have been duped into believing that the Bible has been debunked. And so you, you don't even view it as having its origins from God. Maybe you've, you've bought into that postmodern lie that, that, that you are the authoritative interpreter of God's word. But hopefully, you are more like this remnant of Judah who heard Haggai's message, recognized it for what it was, and obeyed the voice of the Lord. Which brings us to our last question Why did they obey? Why did they respond the way that they did? It was because this people, this remnant of Judah, feared the Lord. What does it mean to, to fear the Lord? When, when scripture talks about the fear of the Lord, what it is, what it is referring to is, is, is a type of reverence that is motivated by both a respectful awe and a devotional love. One just has to, has to think about who God is to develop this sense of fear. In, in Revelation 4, the, the Apostle John had this vision of God sitting upon his throne. And the glory of the Lord was, was extending outward in radiant color. And then in verses 5 and 6, we read this. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder before the throne seven lamps were blazing these are the seven spirits of god also before the throne there was what looked like a sea of glass clear as crystal here we gain we gain two distinct characteristics of the lord almighty first there is there is lightning and the rumblings and the and the peals of thunder and then there is that sea of glass, that calm water that is as clear as crystal. We get both his frightening power and his grace that, that pacifies the storm. The fear of God is an understanding of both. It is, it is knowing that his wrath and, and his justice is to, be, is to be dreaded, but it is also knowing that he is a good God one who desires to bring calm to the chaos. It is a dangerous place to be in the presence of God, but one can take courage, for God's compassion is greater than any others. This is what it means to to, to fear the Lord. It is to revere him, both for his terrifying nature and for his unending mercy. Dear friends, do you have a fear of the Lord? When when you hear his word, do you desire to please him as a child would his father? When, When scripture is read aloud, does it stir up your spirit in order for you to give to your God both your admiration and your affection? This was the spirit of the remnant of Judah, They they heard God's word, they feared the Lord, and they obeyed. And because of this, Yahweh had another message for them. Look at verse 13. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. I am. Am with you. This people who were without a temple, who were without the presence of their God, had come to repentance. They had, they had turned their hearts to the Lord. And now this, this absent God declared that He was with them. I mean, the, the, the construction had barely begun. They they were probably just going up to gather the timber, and and their God had returned to them. How comforting must that have been? I mean, think about the history of God communicating those exact words. He he, he said it to Moses at the burning bush. He said it to to Joshua as they were about to enter the promised land. He said it to Gideon when, when they were being oppressed by the Midianites. But there is a a specific reference that the people of God had to be thinking of. Particularly because they were building this temple. Look at 2 Samuel 7 verses 1 through 3. After the king was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him. He said to Nathan the prophet, here I am living in a palace of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. It was in the mind of King David to build the house of the Lord, and God was with David. Here's the crazy thing. It's it's not so much about a house made of wood and stone that God desires to dwell inside rather he makes his home in the hearts of his people those who are repentant and have faith and this is true today as well 1 Corinthians 3 verse 16 says this don't you know that that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit Lives in you? For those who are in who are in Christ, for those who who turn away from their sins and look to the one who, who died for them upon that cross, they have become the true temple of God. And his spirit dwells within them. It's not about a building, it's about your heart. Do you trust in Christ alone, that he died for your sins and and rose from the dead three days later? Because only through him can you experience the presence of God. Only through Jesus can God be with you. For this remnant of Judah, for for these people who, who had this repentant faith, God was with them. And as we'll soon find out, he was, he was really with them from the very start. Look at our last verses, verses 14 and 15. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the, whole, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month and the second year of King Darius. In verses 12 and 13, we saw things from the people's perspective. They were the, the main actors as they feared the Lord and obeyed his voice. But now here we get a view from heaven. It is the Lord who is now the primary actor. He is the one who, who stirs up the spirits of Zerubbabel and Joshua and the whole remnant of the people. He is the one who, who moves in their hearts so that they begin their work of building his house. You see, from, from man's perspective, from our limited view, it, it feels like all the hard work, all the sweat, blood, and tears of turning to God and obeying his commands comes from us. But in in God's view, this this work of repentance starts with him. This is what we read about in our first scripture reading. Look Look at Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13 again. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Sound familiar? Obedience through fear and trembling. Man's view. God who works in you to will and to act. God's view. When Jonathan Edwards gave his famous sermon in that small town of Enfield, he wasn't even supposed to preach that day. He, he was a stand-in for another preacher that who, who couldn't make it. So, so he pulled out a message that he had given before. You see, this wasn't the first time that, that he preached sinners in the, in the hands of an angry God. For, for he gave that same word to his own church in, in Northampton, only with very little response. What... <coughs> What was the difference? Listen to Edward's own words on the matter. Conversion is a great and glorious work of God's power, at once changing the heart and infusing life into the dead soul. You see, repentance is a, is a gift from the Lord. It is a move of the Spirit stirring up the hearts of men. And just as God stirred up the, the spirits of the remnant of Judah... And just as he stirred up the spirits of the people of Enfield, he can stir up the the, the spirits of the people of this nation as well. And it begins with with the preaching of God's word and his Holy Spirit infusing life into dead souls. These are the things which create a fear of the Lord and turn a rebellious nature into an affectionate, obedience. This is why God said to the people, I am with you. He is the one who who had turned their hearts towards him. He had had given them his presence. This one who who sits on the throne, exuding lightning and peals of thunder. This God who who calms the sea as he stills the storm. He would be the one who would lead them through this journey of building his house each step of the way. And he does this for you as well as you follow him and, and, and on a path of obedience as his church. Dear friends, your, your calling may not be to build a physical temple, but, but God has given you a mission nonetheless. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, say this. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You are commanded to gather the timber of lost souls and to build his house, which is his church. But you are not alone, for you have one that goes with you, one who has all authority in both heaven and on earth. So let your spirits be stirred. And may Christ be with you. Let us pray. Father, just as that remnant in Judah had their spirits stirred, so so we ask now that you would stir our spirits. May we recognize your word and turn to you in the fear of the Lord by obeying your commands. May your Holy Spirit infuse life into us, and into the dead souls around us as we bring your message to a lost people. And may we trust in the promise of your Son. That he will be with us always to the very end of the age. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.